Welcome to Team Pete's Talks, a podcast series brought to you by the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners, NAPNAP, featuring experts and stakeholders addressing key issues in pediatric health. Throughout 2023, NAPNAP is celebrating our 50th anniversary and our place in history as the first National Nurse Practitioner Society. As part of our anniversary celebration themed 50 Forward, we are thrilled to share this new Team Peds Talks podcast series, 50 Forward, Forging Our Future. Join us as we look back at some highlights of our profession and as we look forward to the future of pediatric nurse practitioners. This special series is hosted by myself, Dr. Jessica Peck. I am a clinical professor of nursing at Baylor University, past president of NAPNAP and mom of four. And I am joined by my amazing co-host, Dr. Tedra Smith. Tedra, introduce yourself. I am delighted to be here. I'm Dr. Tedra Smith, a certified pediatric nurse practitioner. I'm an associate professor at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. I am a mom of two, and I'm delighted to be a part of our series. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Welcome to this special episode of Team Peds Talks. We are doing a special series for 50 Forward to celebrate NAPNAP's 50th anniversary. And we are talking about all things, the future of pediatric nursing, the future of child health. But today we have an all-star cast lined up for you to talk about all things the future of nursing education. So this episode, buckle in, we're gonna go really fast. It's gonna be like a clinical roundup session. And we're gonna talk about three elements of nurse practitioner education, of PMP education. We're going to talk about issues facing faculty today. We're gonna talk about policies facing PMP programs. And we're gonna end up talking about innovations and you are going to meet the host of the Peds NP podcast. I cannot wait wait to get started. So Tidra, why don't you get us kicked off here? Thank you, Jessica. I'm delighted to introduce Amy Marino, who is a dual certified primary care and acute care pediatric nurse practitioner. She is faculty at Baylor University. Her clinical background is in pediatric neurosurgery and rehab medicine. She is a member of the NAPNAP Partner Suicide Prevention Task Force. Welcome, Amy. Thank you, Tidra. I'm so glad to be here this morning. Um, how's everybody doing? Thank you. We are awesome. We are awesome. Thank you so much for being here with us. And Amy, as the current president of the Association of Faculties of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners, what do you see as the top issues facing PMP faculty today? Well, really, that's a that's a really great question. One of the biggest concerns that I hear and that I see is, um, as a PMP educator, is our ability to secure high quality preceptors for our students. Um, I think that this has been a challenge. I think that COVID really kind of changed the landscape for preceptors in the clinical arena, and it also created some new challenges and opportunities for us to be innovative as PMP faculty. Um, so that our students can receive the um, high quality mentoring and um, clinical experiences that they need to be um, effective PNPs. Um, and with the new changes coming from um, NTF, I think that this really, um, it really asks us as educators to step up and figure out how we're going to um, make those changes and meet the needs of our students in the clinical setting. I couldn't agree with you more, Amy. Certainly, a challenge around the 
country trying to find clinical placement and working in the new NTF standards as well as the new essentials. So I couldn't agree with you more. Let's talk for just a moment about the emergence of the DMP and PMP education. Can you talk to the members who are listening who may be masters prepared or maybe a potential student who's weighing their options between, you know, should I pick an MSN program? Should I go with a DMP program? What would you tell them about the benefits of the DMP degree? I actually get this question quite frequently. So I, I can see where people are really, where students are really thinking about this. And really, you know, as nurse practitioners, um, I think historically, you know, um, we were working clinically and that was that was our role. But as as the landscape for um, healthcare is changing, I think it's really asking us to step into um, roles. And, and many of us have been doing this already, but really step into roles that are um, we're leading, we're innovating, we're doing um, much more than just at the, at the bedside. And so I think that as as a DNP that offers you the education that will definitely prepare you for those new roles as uh, as a PNP. Thank you, Amy. I, I do agree with you. It does prepare you to step into that leadership position, being more innovative, more quality improvement, and quality care for our patients. I'm going to turn it over to Jessica to talk a little with our next guest. Well, I'm excited. I, before I introduce our next guest, I have to tell you a little insider secret about me and Dr. Amy Moreno. Amy was actually my undergraduate student in the very first clinical I ever taught when I was a baby teacher. The only thing that I knew as a PMP educator was when my students would ask me a question, like Amy, who was so smart and so brilliant from the beginning, she would ask me a question and I would say, wow, that is such a great question. Why don't we save that and discuss that in clinical conference so that everybody can hear the answer? Because this was in the dark ages. Sorry, Amy, I'm ratting you out before smartphones. And I didn't have any way to look these things up. So I would run all over the unit, ask all of the nurses, try to find out because I had no idea. I didn't know what the answer was. But it's been so great to see Amy, you know, follow. We taught together at the University of Texas Medical Branch. And now she is teaching with me at Baylor and she is the co-coordinator of the Pediatric Nurse Practitioner Program. And she is my colleague and my friend and my hero in so many ways. And I just love that that's what PNP programs do for us and NAPNAP does for us in that connection. So Amy, sorry, I just had to tell that little anecdote. <laughs> no, that's a great story. I love that it story. It is a great story. <laughs> Isn't it? It's a legend. It's a legend. <laughs> So speaking of legends, we have a legend coming right up here. I can't tell you how excited I am to introduce to you Dr. Beth Bollock. If you don't know her, you actually do know her. You just don't know that you know her. She is a professor <laughs> and director of the Acute Care PNP program at Rush. She has a 44-year background in pediatric emergency, critical, and neonatal care. I really don't know how that's possible because she is perpetually like 29, but you know, we'll just we'll leave that that to the mysteries of life right there. And, and this is so, listen up, because this is so exciting. In 1994, she was asked to establish a new nurse practitioner program at 
Rush. Okay, yes, the Rush, the Pediatric Critical Care Program, and she was its first postgraduate certificate graduate. And Rush received a HRSA grant to fund both the Adult Acute Care and PEDS Critical Care NP program initiatives that were sponsored by both medicine and nursing. This is what makes Beth such a worthy recipient of the Henry Silver Award, who was the Pediatrician Collaborative. Really, I could fangirl you all day long. And since then, she has been a leader in specialty definition, a competencies curriculum. So basically, if you are an acute care nurse practitioner, she wrote your textbook. So Beth, welcome so much to Team Pete's Talks. Thank you. You know, I, what I really think for education is someday in the future, we'll all have microchips. And you go to the microchip library and you pick, do you want to be an architect? Do you want to be a physician? Do you want to be a nurse practitioner? Do you want to be a landscaper? Whatever it is, they put the microchip in and you're done. And we all get the exact same education. But in lieu of that, I have two points. Um, my first is I think we need to go back to a standardized curriculum. The Pediatric Nursing Certification Board uh, in its earliest years did have program approval and the programs were much more similar than different, but they're very disparate now. And we do hear of quality differences and that makes me sad. So I think that it really is time to think through how we could do something more standardized and base it on nursing experience. It is what differentiates us from our physician um, assistant or associate colleagues is that nursing experience, you know, so we build on that foundation. And then we call it like basic nurse practitioner, I mean, basic nursing experience and advanced practice nursing experience. And at first I liked that term for many years, I've used it, but I'm falling out of love with it because I'm really finding that I'm hearing more and more regarding a higher hierarchy of RNs and APRNs, and that was never its intention. It's a different role. So I really would like us to start thinking about moving back into MPs and CNSs and midwives and, um, did I say CRNAs? CRNAs. Um, I also think to make the education of the future work, we need to do more shared programming. Um, programs are just way too expensive and we cannot increase the cost of tuition. It's already a heavy burden for our students and alumni because it follows you for you know, 10, 15, 20 years, if not more. It can keep you from purchasing a home or sending your own children to college. So I think we need to look at alternative models and there have been some shared experiences across the country, but I think we really need to do this more. It will increase local availability. And if we're looking at inclusion, the cost of going to a distance program might be prohibitive to some. And so really building those relationships, I think, will help. My second one is, um, most people know I'm on the record. I'm not a fan of the combination of acute and primary care as a dual track program. However, I do have a lot of interest in what we could do, like you are doing there at Baylor with serial programs, what I do with serial programs, you complete one program and then do a post um, certificate in another. So I really think primary care and psych mental health, we have got to find a way to make that a serial program. 
um, mental health is part of health maintenance, and we just need to expand on that. The other one that I've been interested in years is adult Gero acute care and peds acute care. I'm getting lots of interest in that. I have two students this year who have done that. And I just recently met with our adult Gero um, program director for acute care to see how we can get more interest in that because more and more hospitals are doing generational health. So they're looking at somebody to care for a population of patients with sickle cell or diabetes or cystic fibrosis or neural disorders or CV disorders from birth through lifespan. And right now, many of the choices are get multiple providers, hire a PA who might not have all that rich nursing experience or do something like for us, it's one year more than their adult Gerald if we bring them in. So I really see that that's um, a place that we could do a lot more in these coming years. Well, that is, those are really exciting things to think about. We've gone from microchips to adult Jero. I mean, if you're not paying attention, people wake up. This is a really engaging conversation here. And you glossed over, Beth. One of the things that I love about being a PNP is that we can disagree and we can still be friends. I love that when I was helping start the, the dual program at Baylor, you're like, I don't like dual programs. And we could have that conversation. And you're mm -hmm. right. Baylor is a little bit different in that we're doing that education in a serial way and still trying to figure out how to brand that. Thank you for that tip. We will we'll, we'll follow up with that. But it's really interesting just to hear your perspective sitting in where you are and looking at your horizon and your dashboard. And there's so many things that we could dive into here. But one thing I want to ask you about is that we know that NPs across the board are experiencing burnout and they're increasingly wanting to leave the health profession, which is super concerning. So I know you have some thoughts about what we should be doing to support PMPs, especially those transitioning from education to practice. So what do you think we should be doing? <laughs> well, that's a huge one and one for multiple podcasts. But there is one point um, that's been coming to my attention more and more recently, and that is that first year transition. It's a culture transition. It's not just an education transition. And what I'm hearing from our graduates themselves, from some um, advanced practice directors, is that the transition is not go as going as smoothly for nurse practitioners as it is for physician assistants. And their supposition is that they've gone from a totally different paradigm to another paradigm. Think about our registered nurses. They work by the hour, they get paid um, for their shift. They don't get paid bonuses and things for what they did during that shift. If they do something extra, they get overtime, they get shift differentials. It's a real different paradigm than the role shift where you just get paid one salary and now everything is included in that. They also might be making less money as a nurse practitioner than they did as a staff nurse with all that extra bonus money and um, for overtime and such that they were getting. And so it's not just a knowledge gap that first year, we know it's a steep curve and rise, but I think it's a culture shift. So I think our schools, myself included, I'm really gonna work on this now, is from the point of the interview on, explain what a different role this is so that they really understand better what they're getting into. And then I think the hospitals, in my case, because it's acute care, um, the hospitals need to really, the employers need to really 
take a look at including some of that in their resilience building. Don't make the assumption that everyone they've hired comes from the same background because now they're getting paid for performance. Uh, it's just going to be really different for them. And I think we need to support that. But that's just one piece of a much larger issue. I know. How can we solve the world's problems in a 27-minute podcast? I mean, if, if you're listening out there and you have the answer, we all want to know. Those are all great things. And thank you so much, Beth, for sharing your expertise. And Tidra, we have one more rock star panel guest for you to introduce and to talk about something really innovative. So take us away. Thank you, Jessica and Beth. Thank you so much for sharing all that wealth of knowledge and pearls of wisdom. Um, transition can be very stressful, and I think we have to partner with our health systems to build in some resiliency skills and, you know, figure out a way to address it so the transition can be much smoother. I am delighted to introduce Dr. Becky Carson, who is a dual certified primary and acute care pediatric nurse practitioner and the director of the online acute care PMP program at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. Her clinical experience is in pediatric emergency and urgent care medicine. You may recognize Dr. Carson from her podcast, The PNP, which is nationally recognized for its novel, responsive approach to NP education. The episodes are aimed at giving a practical approach to the evidence-based practice we use to guide our pediatric care. Welcome, Becky. Thank you for having me. Thank you. As the host of the PMP podcast, tell us about your journey in this space. How, how did you get started? Where did this idea come from? How has it evolved since you originally had this idea? Well, thank you for asking. Um, thank you for letting me take this journey with you guys uh, about how this came to fruition. I had wanted a podcast for a long time, um, mostly because I'm a woman who has a lot to talk about. And I found myself being really frustrated by the pediatric podcasts that existed. They were either for parents by, you know, in a mommy blog or, um, by their friendly neighborhood pediatrician, just tips for mom and dad or caregivers at home, or it was for physicians by physicians. And I didn't see my discipline represented, and I didn't see that there was a resource that I could pass on to my students to be helpful to them. So I had talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And then uh, my very first Mother's Day present from my husband was a podcasting microphone. And he said, do it. You have something to talk about. Just do it. And then COVID was actually what really pushed me into it because my students were forced to stay home because initially we didn't know about this new crazy global pandemic and, and how dangerous this virus could be. So students were not viewed as essential workers and were requested to stay home, but they still had this need for bedside application, for this um, ability for them to synthesize their didactic knowledge and then apply it to clinical situations. So. I, 
I saw the need there and I still wanted to touch my students and interact with them while they were at home and staying safe. And I realized that I had developed this personal practice over years and years of experience as it met my knowledge of the evidence-based literature. And that's what created me as a provider. But who's to say that I needed to actually be in a clinical setting at the bedside in order to help somebody else apply those concepts? You know, things like, what differential diagnosis do I need to think about with a patient who has this presentation? Or what workup is absolutely pertinent with these findings? Um, How to talk to parents in a way that makes it stick and actually provides reassurance and their ability to care for their child in their home. Um, So, so you kind of hear these mantras and these are the exact same things that I tell my students in class that I tell the students that I'm precepting at the bedside. I just kind of translated them to a podcast form and put it out over the reaches of the internet. Thank you, Becky. I can definitely feel your passion for PMP education and appreciate you moving forward with this idea to address the needs of our PMP students during such a difficult, unchartered situation that we were in during COVID and continuing it even after COVID is very valuable information. And, you know, podcasts are very innovative um, in providing education in a way that can quickly adapt and respond to emerging health threats. So how do you see your podcast as innovative in the space in reaching pediatric-focused APRNs? Yeah, that's a great question. So podcasts have actually been around in the nursing education literature since the early 2000s. But my podcast is a little bit different, and um, the approach that was innovative for me was what I called a responsive curriculum. It's a word I made up to kind of describe what I'm actively doing with the podcast, and it means that I am identifying as an individual faculty member a learning need in one of my students through conversations that we might have through an email that they might send me through um, their homework assignments. And once I identify that, that is the target focus of a micro learning piece of content that I will deliver that week. So it is directly in response to whatever has gone on the week prior. And and I know that this podcast sounds like this, you know, scripted, put together, you know, piece of um, audio, but, and and to some degree it is, um, it is scripted so that I can have high quality references so that I can um, give you content accuracy and, and so that I can put in maybe a little bit of entertainment value. But uh, it's also actually based on the specifically, it's also based on the specific need of a student who is in one of my courses. Um, and so that's a really interesting piece about it that each one, you know, I remember the student that this episode is about. And 
in the same way that um, Jessica and Amy were talking about what they were going through in clinical rotations. I don't have that benefit in an asynchronous program. My students are all across the country. My students are nurses and parents and partners and friends, and they have so many responsibilities that I want them to keep working at the bedside. I want them to have work-life school balance. And so I need to be able to adapt my teaching to what their learning needs are and the kind of person that they are. Um, and so for that reason, you know, nurses work nights, weekends, and holidays, and we are not sitting together in a clinical conference. And therefore, a student who asks a great question by email or who demonstrates um, a a need in a homework assignment is not going to benefit from that raised hand in class asking the really smart question that Amy asked all those years ago. And so I need to figure out a way to respond to the one student who had a question, but at the same time, teach the others that didn't have the benefit of time and geography to know what that question was and, and they still need the answer, right? Cause they still have to be able to apply this really practical, smart question um, to what's going on. So, and then I kind of realized, well, if my other students can benefit from this in an asynchronous program, why not just share it with the rest of the country and all the other PNPs and students that are out there who, you know, might get a little something from it. And so to go back to what Beth was saying about kind of crowdsourcing and, and sharing our, uh, our teaching modalities, I have had the, the wonderful privilege of hearing that there are other nurse practitioner faculty who use my podcast in their courses. And at the end of the day, I, I think that achieves the goal, which is to get these little nuggets of, of knowledge, of literature, of learning and scholarship out to the people who are going to take care of our most vulnerable population. Thank you. Thank you, Becky. That's a very interesting concept of responsive curriculum, meeting the needs as the needs arise, and then sharing it across the globe with anyone else that has an interest in pediatric nursing. I, I definitely appreciate you and feel your passion. And uh, as someone who teaches in an asynchronous program, we do have to modify our teaching strategies. We're not seeing them every day. We're not, uh, even virtually, we're not seeing them and interacting every day. And there's only so many recorded lectures that you can um, expect students to listen to. So definitely appreciate your podcast and thinking outside of the box, different ways that we can reach our students and others interested in pediatrics. And so Jessica, I'm going to turn it over to you for our closing question for our guests. Absolutely. Well, you know, I knew we couldn't have a podcast uh, without talking about 
the Peds in P podcast. And so Becky, I just want to echo, it was so great to hear what you were talking about. And it reminded me that really your journey was synchronous with the development of this podcast of Team Peace Talks. And current at, at the time I was serving as the president of NAPNAP and recognized exactly what you were saying that resonated so deeply with me. Nursing education is great in its quality, but it is so slow and it's not responsive because it can take years to write a textbook. And so being able to have this responsive platform is just so exciting. And so I love that, you know, these have come up, uh, they have really grown up together. I feel like, you know, they're siblings now. Can we just be siblings? I think that would be great. But I want to start with you, Becky. Our question of the series is, if you could put anything, anything at all in a time capsule for NAPNAP to be opened in 50 years from now, when Beth is still 29, by the way, what would it be? So I, maybe I'm going to age myself a little bit here. Uh, When I started my career, I had a sliding phone that had a keyboard on it. And I'm you guys can't see the faces, but there are there's laughter because you probably also had one too. <laughs> um, and now I walk around with a tiny little computer in my pocket and it is a wealth of information technology and there are so many things that we can do with it that actually can change our practice. Um, so we can have real-time clinical references on the internet, in your pocket, we can take photos of a wound or a video of a patient having abnormal movements and share those with providers and have them help us better differentiate, okay, what's the differential diagnosis? What is the treatment that's needed for this? Um, or you can use them to listen to a podcast <laughs> and and get little bits of, uh, you know, practical application of that evidence-based practice um, right in your earbuds or, you know, put it on speakerphone in the car. This is just an incredible device that I don't think I would have imagined would be in everyone's reach just a decade ago. And so I can only imagine where information technology is going to go 50 years from now. And so that'll be, you know, the iPhone will be a great thing to look back. Smartphones in general um, will be a great thing to look back and see, um, look how far we've come. I love that, Becky. So I'm imagining now 50 years into the future, them pulling out this smartphone and thinking what piece of what kind of archaic, like, you know, strange device is this? I'll tell you, uh, I remember the very first time I ever saw a smartphone and it was actually in clinical. One of my students was going to look up a drug dosage. Oh, and I had my Harriet Lane. It was dog-eared. It was highlighted. I was like, let's race. Uh, long story short, my husband got a bill from AT&T that afternoon. So uh, <laughs> my, well, I'm my old school enough that I still keep a paper Harriet with me. Oh, He's, see, there you she's go. She's my girl. Yeah, she's your girl. My husband, my student had to, to looked at my phone and said, dumb phone. This is a smartphone. So, all right, Amy, how are you going to follow that up? What are you going to put up? What are you going to put in NapNap's time capsule? Well, goodness, that is that is really hard to follow um, because that is pretty impressive. Um, I, you know, 
whenever I first started as a PNP, um, I started in a subspecialty and, um, much like Beth was talking about earlier, I felt very, um, very, like very much like a fish out of water. Um, it was a, it, it was a big struggle for me, um, to transition to my practice. And, um, so I created something called my external brain and, um, I did get I did get mocked a little bit for it and I didn't care. Um, but I had a little book that I literally wrote every single thing down every single morning and report. Um, there are words in there that are phonetically spelled because I did not know what they were saying. So I wrote I just wrote it down. I was like, eventually, I'm going to know what this word is, and I'm going to know how to spell it. Um, but, um, they were basic, that book was basically what served as the foundation for me to be able to independently practice in a subspecialty. I just kept writing it down and writing it down. And every single time we would come up, come again to a patient that presented with something we had talked about, I'd be like, Oh, I know where that is. I'd go to it in my book and I'd add some more information right in anything else that I learned from that, um, that conversation. And I, could, I, I still can tell you exactly where everything is. And it, it got to, I, I was in a teaching hospital. And so it got to where the residents at the end of their rotation would be like, can we use your book for our oral boards? And I'm like, yeah, you just can't laugh at anything that's in it. The way I read it. And so I, if you could see how, that book, um, I would love to put that in the time capsule because I think it's a great way to just really go, this is where I'm at as a new provider. And, um, and I'm okay with this. And it really got me to where I needed to be to be an independent provider. So I think it's a great reminder of the journey that we take as new NPs, and to really just accept where we're at. So I, I love works. that. I love that your external brain is legendary among our students. So there may be, you know, um, uh, you should maybe leave a will, like who is going to take custody of that? Because <laughs> there might be a fight over it. So Beth, we have a smartphone and we have an external brain. What are you going to add to finish this out? I want a little plaque, just a few inches long. Don't want to take up too much space in this virtual time capsule. And I want it to say 74.3 million children. Because that's how many children in the U.S. benefit because NAPNAP's here. Because of all of you who practice, the education that is delivered by NAPNAP to you so that you can practice to your optimal, and the advocacy that NAPNAP does so that these children have the best health that they can get, the best lives that they can get. So I want 74.3 million written down. <laughs> and Becky says, I'm not crying, you're crying. Oh, Beth, that's a great way. That's a great way to close this out. Teacher, why don't, why don't you do the honors? And I'm, I'm going to go get a tissue. Yes. Wow. Never thought of that. Thank you, Beth. 74.3 million children. I'm going to remember that, how impactful and can't wait for the next 50 years to see how many more millions we can add to that list. Becky, I have such fun memories of the sliding file, but so grateful for the technology advances we've been afforded to improve the care we provide for all these millions of children and their families. That makes me shudder to think about that. Thank you all so much for being our guest panelists today. We really enjoyed our conversation on uh, the future of nursing education. Thank you to our audience for joining this episode of Team P Talks 54, Forging Our Future Related to Nursing Education. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Team Peds Talks, 50 Forward, Forging Our Future, brought to you by the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners. If you like this series, be sure to look for other episodes and explore our other series on pediatric health and advanced practice nursing. Visit napnap.org and click on the Team Peds Talks menu item under the Continuing Education tab. The conversations are available wherever you listen to podcasts. Search Team Peds Talks on your app, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on anchor.fm. Please join us again next time, and thank you for listening.